this is Roger Green, host of the Surfing the Nash Tsunami podcast. This weekend, we are offering five conversations, one from our Season 3, Episode 20, which was the Getting to Know You conversation with Jorn Schottenberg, and four from Episode 21, which included newsworthy conversations with Naeem Al-Khoury and Donna Cryer. In this conversation, Naeem Al-Khoury discusses two of his papers that were published within the last couple of weeks. One comes from the EDICT trial, which looked at type 2 diabetes patients on two different regimens, one traditional and the other more liver-friendly, or modern, in fact. The trial was not designed to look at fatty liver disease, but the results say clearly that there are things we can do today using current test medications to help T2D patients avoid the most severe risks and outcomes of fatty liver disease. The second paper was an assessment of the NHANES database designed to estimate prevalence of NAFLD and NASH in the U.S. population in some key subgroups. In the end, I comment that the EDICT paper in particular might have a place in the short series of endocrinologists surfing NASH's piloting later this spring. One thing we've been blessed with on the NASH Tsunami podcast is brilliant, compelling, and charismatic guests. Jorn has been so fantastic, we invited him to join us every week. Back at the beginning, we invited Donna to join us every week, but her schedule and self-care needs couldn't handle the grind. And I'd love to have Naeem with us a lot more often, but a guy who runs a clinic in Phoenix, another in Cleveland, has headquarters in Tucson, is helping to raise two kids and goes to conferences around the world, has a pre-packed schedule. It was really powerful to kick around treatment models with Jorn, and equally, if not more so, to learn about some of the exciting work that Naeem and Donna are doing. Every episode is fun, but frankly, recording this set of interviews is near the top of my list. So sit back, listen. Enjoy, learn, and when you're done, join the dialogue on our LinkedIn discussion group. Name Alkuri. It's been a good couple of weeks. We had two papers published that I wanted to highlight. Uh, the first one is an analysis from a trial called the EDICT trial. Uh, this was done with the diabetes group in San Antonio. This is a group led by Dr. Ralph DiFronzo, who is a world-renowned expert in type 2 diabetes. So in this trial, patients were randomized to combination therapy with pyoglitazone, exenatide, so GLP-1 agonist, and metformin versus a standard diabetes care, which, you know, you start with metformin and do sulfonylureas and add insulin. So these were like patients newly diagnosed with type 2 diabetes, not previously on treatment. They were followed uh, for six years. The trial started before my time, but when I came in, we wanted to look at liver outcomes. So we were able to do fiber scans at the end of the trial, and we had also ALT, AST values, and some of the indices that we calculate, like APRI, NAFL fibrosis score. And, you know, the take-home message was that when we looked at the combination therapy, again, pyoglitazone, exenatide, and metformin versus standard of care, that at the end of the follow-up six years, uh, we had less steatosis based on the CAP score from FibroScan. So standard of care was about 69% with evidence of moderate to severe steatosis versus half of that, about 31% in the triple combination uh, therapy group. So less NAFL. And then when we looked at also liver stiffness, looking at fibrosis, we had less F3F4 fibrosis in the combination combination group that was 7% versus 26% in the conventional therapy group. So encouraging results, I think the message I would take from this is that if you're managing type 2 diabetes, that you need to start aggressive at the beginning, get diabetes under control, and down the line, this is going to help your fatty liver disease and hopefully also prevent progression to advanced fibrosis. So I'm happy to be part of this work. I mean, obviously the study has some limitations because we couldn't do liver biopsies or more 
fancy MRIs. We didn't have baseline measurements, so maybe there was some imbalance between the two groups at baseline. But I'm happy that we're able to implement this at the end of follow-up in this important trial. It strikes me that the scale of difference is such that while, for all the reasons you say, I'm not sure you'd want to bank on those exact numbers being right. When you talk about fundamentally a third of the population and half the patients do better in terms of NAFLD and a sixth of patients and half the you know cases do better in terms of fibrosis, it's at three or four. Those are huge numbers. Yeah, the way I think about diabetes medicines, uh, there are, you know, the good ones for fatty liver and the bad ones. And if you think about the combination we use that has pyoglitazone, which is known to reduce steatosis and improve NASH and potentially an impact on fibrosis in diabetics. And we had a GLP-1 agonist and we have very promising data on NASH resolution with the semaglutide. Whereas, you know, in the um, conventional therapy group, we're using really medicines that don't help fatty liver disease. So you have metformin, which is neutral. You have sulfonylureas that can make it worse. You have insulin that will make you also gain weight and can worsen fatty liver disease. So, you know, although the difference is striking, I do believe that if you start early, you may be able to achieve these outcomes. And I think it's going to be even better when we have potentially lanafibrinor and semaglutide. So even more effective PPAR agonists and uh, GLP-1 agonists. Yeah, so I'm sorry. I didn't make myself clear, I think, which is that it may even be a bigger effect than what you showed in the study because you don't know what you get from not knowing whether the study is balanced or not. But those are big enough numbers that it's clearly effective. is large. I'm not going to use the word significant because people use that statistically, but there's a big effect here, even even if, in fact, the details around the numbers aren't right. That makes complete sense. Louise, we're, we're kind of in your neighborhood now, kind of, in some ways. Louise Campbell. Yeah. Uh, no, I think they're amazing numbers and well done on the work. Whilst you may not have had baseline figures, in the real world, we don't get all of the baseline figures on these patients. So it's interpretation in a real world way would be more significant because we know from your data and other data that it does work to reduce. And I really do think Novonordisk and semaglutide or people using it are now missing a trick. It's a brand new drug in some areas like the UK have now licensed it. We should be doing non-invasive technologies like Fibroscan and CAP on every patient because that's real world evidence. We can get it. We can measure outcomes. It can be a long-term effect. We know that things like positive reinforcement by losing liver fat helps maintain people's weight loss or diet change. So I think it's an amazing study for all of those other contexts. Very exciting. I agree. And you were going to dive into something else? Yeah, just briefly, we also had a paper published in Hepatology Communication in collaboration with Pfizer NASH team. This was looking at the enhanced database and trying to predict the prevalence of NAFLD and significant fibrosis in the United States general population. So the enhanced database is what we call the National Health and Nutrition Examination Survey. This is a CDC project. Every couple of years, they have a cycle where they sample a population that represents the United States population. And well, we're lucky that in the 2017-18 cycle, they actually did fiber scans on about 10,000 individuals. We used that data to estimate the prevalence of uh, NAFLD and uh, significant fibrosis. And uh, there are, you know, similar papers, but we really optimized the cutoffs here. We used the cutoffs from the ADOS paper. We looked at cutoffs that maximize sensitivity, specificity. We looked at the UDEN index that is a balanced cutoff for sensitivity and specificity to provide more 
more a range instead of just absolute numbers. But what we found was consistent with previous studies that relied on ultrasound ALT to estimate the prevalence of uh, NAFLD. So in our paper, we found that NAFLD based on the CAP score, and we used a cutoff of 302 decibels per meter. The prevalence was at 25%, consistent with previous studies. But more importantly, we found evidence for F2, F4 fibrosis, so significant fibrosis in 4.4% of the general population. So this is significant, and this is really the patient population that will likely develop cirrhosis and liver-related outcomes. And then we did a deeper dive in patients with type 2 diabetes, and we found NAFLD in 54%, and more importantly, 18% had significant fibrosis. So I think this confirms the previous data on the prevalence of NAFLD. I think we're adding some new data on the prevalence of significant fibrosis, and we're highlighting the disease burden in patients with type 2 diabetes. We're doing more work with the enhanced database. We are very happy that we have fibroscan measurements. We're looking at other scores, including the Agile 4 score, for example, to estimate the burden of NAFLD cirrhosis. I'll be presenting some of these data at DDW. We have some data for EASL also looking at the Agile 3 plus uh, score in the enhanced database. So I think this is really good because, again, it's done in a systematic way and we have direct measurements of liver fat and fibrosis as opposed to just relying on liver enzymes and some of the indices like FIP4 index. Can I ask you, did you also look at the meta-analysis cutoffs for CAP for the just that they use a 248, a 260 um, and a 283 or something just off the top of my head? Because that's the sort of people I tend to use the meta-analysis because I use people who just come in and want to know their liver health. And, but I see more diabetes in the lower levels in the sort of the 260, 285 range rather than really high. And I just wondered, because it's a, a real world population that the NHANES is looking at, whether or not you can pick up people with different disease profiles at lower ranges, because obviously the meta-analysis is all caps. We actually looked at it, and if you use the 248 for CAP, you end up with about 50% with evidence of suspected NAFLD. So that's why we use different cutoffs, and I feel like 248 was probably set a little bit too low. I mean, you know, it's a balance, and uh, obviously when you tell someone you have fatty liver disease, some patients will not even care and do anything we tell them to do, but some other people will take it to heart and think that they have very significant liver disease, and maybe sometimes we're, you know, over colon at a disease. It's a risk factor, definitely, for developing liver disease down the line. So I think 248, you end up with, with a lot of people that are at suspected NAFLD. And I know that some of them will, will actually have significant disease, but I think we should probably be in the 280 range, if not 300. Again, it depends on what you're trying to do, but we wanted to kind of provide a balanced approach and provide more confidence when we call it NAFLD, that it is through NAFLD. But if you're trying to have a good test with very high sensitivity, and not miss anyone, you can definitely use lower cutoffs. Those two papers together kind of feel a little bit like a pincer movement in that one speaks to the scope of the issue and the other says there's a lot you can do today, right? Since one of the questions you hear is, well, what can I do now? And the answer, I think we're seeing ACE and other organizations start to focus on the type 2 diabetic patient as the most obvious target. And what I take from what you've said is that don't even worry on one level about whether the patient actually is exhibiting NAFLD or NASH. You should treat them as if their liver matters anyway. And that's how you avoid problems in the years to come. Of course, this is what Louise taught me. I think I'm taught well, but uh, I'm taught by the best, obviously, and taught well. But that would be my construct of, of what I hear you saying. I think the message is that type 2 diabetes is just a different beast.
understand we really need to take this way more seriously if you have type 2 diabetes because as you said Roger we can do a lot today and how we manage the diabetes to prevent these outcomes in the future so I think we really need to keep pressuring the societies to implement screening for NAFLD risk stratifying patients and then managing type 2 diabetes in a different way that will be helpful for the liver. As you know we're putting together this uh, pilot series for targeted endocrinologists and episode three is so what can you do now and somehow strikes me that this paper belongs in that episode. And now back to Roger. We hope you've enjoyed this recording. If you have any questions or comments about the content of this conversation or either of the episodes, please send an email to questions at surfingnash.com. We'll be back next week with our preview of the Fifth Global Nash Congress taking place in London at the end of May. Until then, stay safe, surf on, and we'll see you on the podcast. Bye-bye now.